You're listening to Jai Long and this is Make Your Break. Whether you're a big-hearted creative or an aspiring entrepreneur, let's take action on your dreams. Reconnecting you with your why and giving you the how. I'm here to dish out actionable mindset tips and fun industry secrets to help you blow up your biz. From eye-opening reality checks to motivational gold, no two episodes are ever the same. So tune in weekly, skip the FOMO, and let's dive into the deep together. Hey, welcome back to the show. Today, we're going to talk to Sophie Lee. She is a family and newborn photographer. She's also a podcast host at the Sophie Lee Podcast. She runs retreats, she runs workshops, she does education, she's a mentor, she's a coach. She's an incredible woman with an incredible community and she's always helping so many people around her. I wanted to bring her onto the Make Your Break show because I've actually worked with her for a little while now inside the business map and doing some one-on-one coaching and I love her energy, her ambition. I love all the things that she's been working on. I love the insights that she brings. And I know she's going to bring so much to today's episode. In particular, we're going to talk about energy, how we show up in our businesses. We're going to talk about how we can make our clients feel included. Tips and tricks around those type of things. We're going to talk about task switching and how being busy is not going to make the impact and get you the results that you want. And so much more. So again, if you want to find her podcast, you can find it over at the Sophie Lee podcast and there's a link underneath the show notes. Other than that, I've been working really hard at the moment, rebuilding the business map and we're doing a huge launch on the 31st of May. I'm going to put a link below. I highly recommend you join that waitlist as I'm giving you something away. I'm giving something away for free on that waitlist. So you just put your email address in there. I'm going to send you some video trainings and it's going to get you ready to, well, to see what's in the business map and also ready for this big launch party that we're going to have as well. So if you're interested in working with a coach, absolutely get below, hit that link, put your address in. I'm going to send you some some goodies to make it all worth it and um, you'll see me in your inbox. Other than that, I think I'm ready to get into the show. So again, thank you for listening and uh, let's get into it. Hey, Sophie Lee, how are you? I'm so well, Jai. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited about this chat. I'm really excited as well. And I know a lot of people are going to be really excited that you're on the podcast. I mean, one thing people always ask me to get more family photographers on the podcast and you in particular as well. I know you have your own podcast now as well, which is really cool. And um, yeah, we get to have a bit of a chat today about energy, about how we put things out to the world and how our clients react to it during shoots and everything else. And um, I'm excited for this conversation. So do you want to start? Just let us know who you are and um, and then we'll go into like a bit of a backstory on how you made your break and how you got here today speaking with me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, my name is Sophie. Sophie Lee is, Lee is actually my middle name. So um, my name is Sophie and I am a mother of three, first and foremost, and a wife of over a decade now. So I have been in the photography industry for 
about 18 years now. So, and it has looked differently than it does now along the way. Of course, I started photography. Well, I found photography actually at high school. I changed schools in my senior year, which was not by choice. (laughs) Um, I'm one of three and my parents plucked me out of my school and put me in a new one for year 11 and 12. And I was really having a hard time adjusting to the size of the school and the subjects that it offered because it was vastly different to where I'd come from. And I had to choose a new art because they didn't have performing arts in in the way that my previous school did. So that's when I thought, well, photography, I've always been interested in that. So I'll go and explore that deeper. Now, this was back when we would produce on in dark rooms. Um, we were shooting film and there was this incredible cathartic experience that happened in the dark room that got me through changing schools. It was dark. There was no eye contact. There was no judgment. There was no nothing. It was solitary. And it was a place that I went in this huge school of people that I didn't know. And I would just come into my own and came into my own space and calmed down. And so it became more than taking photographs, but an experience of spending time alone with myself. And that is where the love was born. Unfortunately, the school system, as you might remember back then, was not really set up for anything too outside the box. If you didn't want to be a lawyer, an accountant, a doctor, teacher, there wasn't a lot of advice. So when I had my um, interview with career advisor, did you ever? Yeah, yeah I had one as well. <laughs> kind of just closed the book on me, to be honest, Jai. She just kind of looked at me and went, I don't know what to say to you. Good luck. So I wasn't really given a lot of direction. I was lucky that I have a family, like particularly my dad, he owns his own business and still does, always has. And he is just one of those people that is everything will be okay. Like everything will work out. So he definitely instilled a lot of confidence in me, which I definitely can attribute a lot of my courage to. I think back then when I think probably three days after having a camera in my hand, he would just tell everyone that would listen, my daughter's the best photographer in Australia. (laughs) And it's It's like, it's almost like you say it enough and you start to go, oh, maybe I could be that. Mm. Right. So I was lucky and I left school and I was still very unsure about where this was going to take me or if it could take me anywhere aside from just being a hobby and something I really enjoyed doing. So my best friend is also a creative. So he was in the same boat as me and he rang me and said, I'm going to go do design and I want you to apply for this course. It's like, what course? He's like, it's a photography course. I'm like, babe, I don't know. Like, I don't know about this. And he goes, you have to, you have to go to an interview and it's tomorrow. And I mean, how old was I? 18? I just had the courage. I don't know. I just thought, okay, where's it at? It's like, <laughs> it's in the city. You've got to get there. I caught a train. I sat up at that night and I printed off a bunch of photos, like you can imagine like Harbour Bridge at night and yeah, yeah. You know, like all that sort of stuff. Like a, a, some a, leaves. A, a, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was exactly. my go-to was always leaves. <laughs> yeah. A cobweb. As long as yeah. it, was, it was arty, right? So we, I just printed them off. They would have been four by six on my home computer. I put them in a folder and I went to this interview and it was, um, yeah, it was, it was inter- an interview process. I got there. Everybody was sort of in their mid thirties like sort of wanting to change their career 
And I was just there like fresh out of school. I'm like, oh, what's the worst they can say? No, like whatever. So I went in and they took 30 full-time, 60 part-time. I sat there in the interview and this guy just didn't even end up looking at my photos. He's like, who are you? What's your name? And he had like a whole tick box um, sheet in front of him. And I just started talking to him. And I told him about how photography had gotten me through school. I explained how it made me feel and what I dreamed of doing. I told him I wanted to take photos of babies, which everybody at that point in time thought was super daggy because at the time it was daggy and how I wanted to change that and what my dreams were for for doing this course. And he failed to look at my photos and two weeks later I was accepted full-time into the course. And I don't know, I mean, at the time I just was like, oh, and then um, I don't know, on reflection now that I know what I know and what it feels to be around people, I know it was to do with the way I showed up that day. And with very few spots to give, if I was allocating those spots, I would just want to see something in someone that I thought at least they're going to push it and take it Mm. and try And I don't think I left much doubt in his mind that that's what I would do. So I got in and I learned nothing. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, it was a lot over my head. I'm not that academic. And I, there was a lot of math there, but at that time, you know, all those years ago, you needed like a certificate or something to kind of get a job. And I wanted to go and get a job in a studio. So I did the course. I actually didn't even get the certificate because I failed part of the course, which was the mass component, which is no great surprise, but I finished it. And I just told everyone I had the certificate and no one asked to see it. Thank God. So I got into studios and I worked full-time in studios for a really long time. I jumped from about three major studios over a 10 year period. And I did sales. I taught people how to photograph in studios. Um, I worked in natural light studios. I worked outdoors And I always ended up in a position of managing, running or training. And so that was always a natural progression for me. Even my very first job, which was at Best and Less, I ended up as a service supervisor. You know, like I would always kind of get myself to a point of like, nah, let's see if we can do that now, you know. So I think that was always something that people saw in me was, you know, she's a doer and a trier. And I always put a lot of energy and effort into what I'm doing. So fast forward, I had my first baby and I didn't want to go back working studios, working full-time, well, not full-time, but nine to five, basically. So by birthing my son, I, I birthed a different version of me, one that had a lot more courage. And I had a real purpose looking at him that I had always wanted to start my own business, but I'd just never taken the leap and never really trusted myself enough to do it. And after having him, I did. I had a lot of courage in a lot of areas of my life and I fell pregnant again at his on his first, pretty much his first birthday. I fell pregnant with my second and then that was it. I, I just went, this is it. I've started a Facebook page. All these clients that had been with me throughout my studio experience stalked me, found me, were dying to support me. It's awesome. Just so excited to see me do it. And and my business has grown so beautifully ever since. And it is definitely I know how have, long ago was that? 
Um, so that was my son is just about to turn nine. So my business yep. is about eight now. So yeah, it's grown in all different ways, but fundamentally still the same. I'm still photographing newborns, pregnancies and families. And that's where my heart lies. So yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. My business is about the same age as well. It's such a journey. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And it's crazy to think that, you know, eight years of business seems like such a long time. And then to think back that I was actually doing this a lot longer, but the, the business chapter is definitely, I guess, the most intense. And also because I've done that alongside birthing, feeding and raising three children. So it's been a very intense and and rewarding experience in that in those past eight years for sure. Mm. Hey, you know, have you watched the movie um, with Will Smith called King Richard? I haven't. It's funny, like Will Smith's all all around the place right now. I actually watched it um, last week before the whole slapping thing happened. But in that movie, so he's got his two daughters and um, it reminds me of your dad because he would say like, these girls are the best in the world. I've got two Michael Jordans on my hand and he would say it and say it. And then the girls believed it and believed it. And then they became the best in the world. And so when you were telling that story, I was, I was like, man, imagine having someone that believed in you that much that then you started believing in it as well. And then of course it's going to come true because that's your reality. Yeah. It's, there's a tender, there's a tender line there between sort of, and I'm experiencing this now as a parent of like, how much do you say everything's so wonderful and everything your children, your child or children do is so great. You know, there's this, you know, you can't, you don't want to be someone that's telling them that, you know, if they pick up a sock off the floor, they're a hero. But I think it's more of a broad sense of ability. Like you have the world's your oyster. And building them up to a, a point where they really believe that they can do it, and that if they don't succeed, that they have they still have the support of someone that's really important in their life, and that's just something that I've always had. I remember I always cross check really big decisions with my dad, and he I do it less so now because you know he taught me to fish. He he helped me along with big decisions in my business and in my life, and then. I learned the process and then I could apply that to the next decision. So I remember standing outside of my studio when I wanted to sign a lease on my first commercial space, my studio that I've had for about 18 months now. And I think it was a real moment for him of going, I've told her her whole life that she can do anything she wants. And I told her that she was going to be the best photographer in Australia. (laughs) And now we're standing there looking up at this balcony of this studio I think he had a moment of going, well, shit, like here we are. She's kind of even done maybe more than I thought. And he had a little bit of a a tear in his eye and and gave me a hug. And I thought, yeah, like this is an amazing moment. But I know what a pivotal um, role he played in building me up to believe that. That's so cool. And I really do relate to the the career advisor that you have at school. I was just talking to my wife the other day about it, like, imagine what they would say or like imagine trying to explain to them what we do now and how that's not a real job. And even today, like especially anyone that's older than me, the first thing they say is like, is that actually a job? Also, do you have any clients? Also, who wants that? Also like, you know, so there's, it's just like endless amounts of stuff, but um, it's so fascinating now that we can live our dream. We can make up our own jobs and there's just so much abundance in the world. There is. And I think schools have a really long way to go with that. So as parents, we're still playing the main role in expanding 
their minds. Mm. And I think now that I am a mum, it's interesting. I've just gone through parent-teacher interviews this week with my two that are in school and the things that they want to tell me and the things that I want them to tell me are really different because I obviously don't have a cookie-cutter job. I'm a creative. My husband, he owns his own business as well. So when we go through questions with them, we're asking things like how, how, what's their communication like? How confident are they talking in front of their peers? Are they like well-liked? Are they navigating social situations with grace and integrity? And they're sort of going, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm really concerned that her S's are backwards. And I'm like, I don't give a shit. <laughs> I don't care. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm like, you know, it's it's interesting because those skills to me will be the most valuable in the long run. Mm. The S's are always the right way on your keyboard. <laughs> always. <laughs> Amazing. But they are. And it's like that, you know, and there's always a way around that stuff. There's mm. always a way. One of my really great friends is one of the people that I admire in business so much and she's a mother. So that's another huge thing for me, navigating motherhood and business alongside one another. And she's completely dyslexic. And it's like, that is all work outable. You can get a team, you can get a computer, you can get a calculator, all of that. But this whole ability to bring that together, to be able to nurture people, lead Mm, people, be someone who can get up in front of a call. Like my son did his first his first speech in front of people. Now, this was my biggest fear as a child. So I'm trying to help him through this speech without projecting my own fears on this because I hated public speaking. And he was just like, it's fine, no issue. Do you want to practice that again? I'll be okay. Da-da-da. Like that's the skill and the confidence that I'm more concerned about than Mm. I am about counting backwards from 235 because I would do that. <laughs> I know it's so amazing. Like all these things are so important. And um definitely like my parents seen that when I was younger, it was all about people skills. And you know, they'll take me out of school because they're like, oh yeah, maths and stuff. Like we have calculators. But you know, these negotiations, these times that we need to like talk to, you know, some adults or we need to make something happen or we've got to get a sale across. Like these are the things that you know my son needs to learn. And it's definitely helped me. Like I've been a people person since I was a kid and I can go into a room and talk to anyone. doesn't matter how much money or how educated they are or whatever it is, because I can relate to people. And I think that's a skill that gets you everywhere. And another thing, this is something that they they didn't teach me at school. They tell everyone to be a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant. But what they don't teach you is, hey, if you're an entrepreneur, you can do all those things regardless of your education. Because if you're an entrepreneur... You can start a law firm and if you're good with people, you can hire lawyers to work for you and you can use their license, their degree, their education, all their knowledge to start that law firm. And guess who gets paid the most? Not the person that went to the university to learn and get that degree to hang on the wall. It's the person that starts the business that you know, works with people and was able to bring things together as a project, which that to me blows my mind. Cause I'm like, why didn't anyone teach me that? That's where I am now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's, um, when I do mentoring, I, I get asked a lot, you know, about what's the sort of secret sauce in between being really good at taking photos and being booked out for a year ahead. Right. And it's sort of like, it's not about being the best. I don't think I'm the best photographer in Sydney. I don't think I'm the best photographer in Australia. I don't even know if I'm the best photographer in my suburb. 
but I'm not even the best photographer on your street. Maybe not. (laughs) Maybe not. But what I do know is that people know about me Mm -hmm. and the best photographer in Australia is probably not even on social media. Like the likelihood that the best photographer in Australia is in their house, too scared to share their work and not even on socials or sharing anything is so likely because as you know, through mentoring, like I do, the, the imposter syndrome, the nervousness to share or, or be showing up for your business is like number one, right? So I'm just not scared of that. Or if I am, I just do it anyway. So that's my superpower is that it's not, am I the best photographer? Probably I'm pretty good. Am I good with people? Probably I'm better with people than I am even a photographer. I know how to navigate situations. I know how to bring people together. I know how to make them feel comfortable. I know really well how to deal with children in lots and lots of different situations, but that just comes from years of experience. That didn't work. Let's try this. That didn't work. Let's try this. It's trial and error. I didn't, I I wasn't born with this innate knowledge of how to navigate newborns and toddlers and tired mums. That's a learning thing. So as long as you're willing to give it time and learn and put yourself out there and get out of your bedroom, you know, that's the secret sauce. Nothing's happening in your bedroom, as yeah. I always say. So let's dive into that a little bit. I'd love to share a couple of things as well. But let's talk about like right now, do you think it's learnable to be able to become more approachable and to be able to communicate better with our clients and with people around us to strengthen that skill? Yeah, I do. I absolutely do. And just to the simple level that I have had people contact me via Instagram and say things like, I've started a business because of you. So it's learnable or just even for for people to get over the fear as by seeing something as simple as someone else did it. So now the more relatable that person is to you, the more you'll be inspired by them. So for me, I am a mum and I have three children. So if there's someone watching me that is really good at photos and wants to start their own business and hates their job and they see a 20-year-old guy with no responsibilities taking photos and running a really awesome business, Mm -hmm. they might not be as encouraged by that because they're going to have more blocks. They're going to say, well, it's a guy and he doesn't have children and blah, blah, blah. But you can strip down a lot of blocks by me showing up and showing that I'm doing it. Mm. Well, there's no more excuses left really. So the first step is actually believing you can do it, right? So it's learnable. But the hardest thing is actually thinking, okay, I can do it. So now that we have social media and we have so many people that we can watch and learn from, that will give you the confidence to start. That's the first step. Is the rest learnable? Can we can we learn how to be better with people, read situations better? Yeah, we can. But I would probably say... Can we make people feel more comfortable? Absolutely. Can we yeah, be we proactive can. around that? We should definitely be. That's where like workshops and education comes into it, seeing how other people work a room. I know probably the biggest feedback for me with in-person learning is I just, wow, I was so blown away with how little you say and how calm you are. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, wow, because I'm quite a chatty person, but in a shoot pending the personalities that are in the room, I can sort of, I tailor that to what I'm doing. It's different from a, between a newborn shoot 
and an outdoor shoot with older kids for sure. Um, my energy is totally different. But the more you watch people do that and the more you watch them navigate that, the more you learn. But you also have to learn not to lose yourself in that because we also all have our own innate and unique capabilities and personality that we need to bring to it. So it's not about being like someone else. It's about learning the skills and observing the skills, taking that knowledge on and then interpreting that in a way that feels really unique and natural to you. But yes, it's learnable for sure. Yeah. And there's so many little things that we need to learn as well. And like, for example, when we're with our clients, people, and this is obviously not to you, this is to the audience, but people, they need to feel connected. And so when someone feels disconnected or left out or left behind, it triggers the same part of your brain that is physical fear and physical pain, which means like that physical pain, it means it's so bad that it's like, oh my God, the, the experience with you in the shoot or with um, like you during the client meeting or whatever it is, like it is that bad. But then the same part of your brain fires that craves food is the same part of your fi- um, brain that fires for connection. So if you connect someone um, by having a conversation or making them feel welcomed or showing them the next step, then the pleasure is so great for them that they feel connected. But people can lose connection so easy. And one example is if, for instance, you're running a workshop or if you're with your clients or something and one client just doesn't really know what the next step is and you've kind of left them in the dark a little bit or you haven't explained to them that they need to come in or they've got to take their shoes off at the door or something. As soon as someone feels like they don't know what to do next, they feel disconnected. And as soon as they feel disconnected, it doesn't matter how good the client experience is and everything else is, they're going to have that pain trigger in their brain and it's going to be so hard to come back from. So it's just one little thing. And then like you were saying before, like working the room, it's like for us, we need to be conscious of like, are we best facilitating people through the process, our clients through the process? What is the next step when we're shooting with them? How should they hold their hands? If they don't know how to hold their hands or what they should be doing, then that pain is going to be triggered and it's going to be hard to come back from. So I thought that was like really interesting. It's very true. And I always use the analogy when you're going to the hairdresser, can you imagine walking into a hairdresser with like eight seats and then like eight basins at the back and the hairdresser just says, take a seat. All right, sit down. (laughs) And you're like, even the choice of where to sit can make you feel really untethered in that moment of like, Mm. I just want someone to tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do. Give me some direction. And then you sit down and they say, you know, what do you want to do with your hair? And you say, I want to go lighter. And they say, well, what tone do you want me to put in your hair? It's like, well, I'm not the expert. Like, I want to tell you the result and you have to come up with the system. And -hmm. if you're not telling me the system, I don't trust you anymore. So it's like with photography. If if someone comes into my studio and I just say, well, what do you guys want today? It's like, well, I don't know. We booked you. (laughs) And, you know, stop asking me questions. Start telling me more what to do. And, And the thing is in the inquiry phase, this is what I've learned so much over the years, is that in the inquiry phase, a lot of people use words like candid, natural, unposed. And yeah, we have to, (laughs) means uncomfortable, awkward. I don't know what to do. (laughs) Tell me how to pose. (laughs) Exactly. And then, and so they want, they, they have this idea of the result, but we are the experts and we know that natural candid unposed 
doesn't happen when they get out of the car. It mm. happens when we take them to that pretty light with that pretty background and that we've completely started. There's nothing natural about standing in a field with coordinated clothing at sunset. You're not even outside at sunset with your kids. You're putting them to bed. <laughs> so there's actually nothing natural about it at all. So we have to also remember that what they're saying and what they want may not connect right away. But if we are too scared to direct someone who wants to be unposed, we aren't delivering because they see what they what they want and we know that there are steps to get there. Mm. So we actually have to take back the control and go, okay. So You've got to be a control freak. Exactly. You have to be. I think what you're trying to say is, or I think what you want is, but even those conversations fall away when, as you as you go down in your business further when people really understand what you're about more. I feel like when you're new, people try and control you. And then as you grow confidence and reputation, they almost they fall at your feet a lot quicker. But everyone's just like, I'm in your hands because your reputation, reputation is so strong. But when you're getting to that point, you need to understand, even if they say words like that, your job is to see through what they actually want. So when they get there, I'm very like, right, you're going to sit there. This is what we're going to do. You know, we're now going to get baby changed. You're going to get dressed. Then we're going to sit there. We're going to do the toddler first. Then you guys are going to chill out. And this is the plan. And all of this is going to get you natural, candid, unposed images. And they feel so held in that space because a lot of the time when they're inquiring with you, with me as family photographers, they're pregnant. So I actually don't know what it's like to have a newborn. They have no idea how this all works and that, you know, we hold the baby and we settle the baby and we pose the baby. And I might very much be the first person to hold their baby, especially coming out of COVID. Often I was the very first person to hold the baby aside from the parents. So they have all these, oh, yeah, no, it's all going to be fantastic. And then they come in, they've just given birth, maybe traumatically, maybe beautifully. We don't know that yet. So when they walk in, what, what are we, what are we dealing with today? Well, I don't know but I know it's highly emotional and I know that they're still healing and we need to give direction and they need to feel safe. So definitely direction and confidence is huge when dealing with, with people and then throw a camera in front of them. Hey, can I um, paraphrase just what you're saying for the audience there? Yeah. Okay. Just to wrap up and correct me if I'm wrong. Sophie, you're saying you need to do the work, the hard work. So your clients are not doing the hard work. So take the thinking out. So then you're, so you do the thinking so they don't have to do the thinking. You need to be a control freak because if you're not in control, then your clients are out of control. And when they're out of control, things are not going to feel comfortable for them. So even if you're a control freak, you should be so good at controlling that they don't even know that you're controlling. So that's the point of it. You're not walking around micromanaging. It's just that you're the anchor in a room. You've got control, baby. So then that means everybody else is in control. Most important thing. Yeah. I just want my clients to walk out and go, wow, that was so good. My kids were so good. They don't good. even know why it was so good, you know? And they and all they think is that their kids are just the best. Yeah. I don't want them to notice that I had a heap to do with that. <laughs> no, like I, I do have a lot to do with that. And sometimes I walk out, they walk out and I wipe my brow and I think, gosh, I'm so glad they came to me because I don't know if they would have got sibling photos if they went to someone else or mm. family photos because I worked so hard, but I don't want it to look like that. Love that so much. And it just makes so much sense. Like 
And I think like when people talk about control, they think it's like a dirty, terrible thing because there's so much stigma around it. But um, there's too much control, of course, and that's where you start micromanaging, pushing people around. But then when it's the perfect amount, like people are just going to feel at ease with you. And so we're going, well, like we are talking about our clients as well, like when we're shooting, how our energy makes people feel. So I'd like to sort of steer the conversation into like how you, with your energy, purposefully and intentionally with your clients when you are shooting or at a client meeting? Yeah. So the first, even before the shoot, I spend a lot of time preparing my energy. So depending on what it is that I'm doing or what I need at the time. So before a newborn shoot, I get in my studio, I prepare everything, but then I usually, whether it's like a five minute meditation or I just put some music on, I do some deep breathing and just center myself in the space. So quite often when I'm about to do a newborn shoot, I've just done kids drop off. Someone's had a meltdown, you know, someone's put something in the car, you know, maybe I've woken up and one of the kids is sick and I've had to do a last minute, like reevaluate who's going to look after the kids. Like it's, it can be chaotic in the morning. Mm-hmm. So I need to be really careful that I'm not taking my chaos into that space because I have no idea what these people are going to walk in with. They might walk in calm. They might have had a really bad morning as well. So I need to make sure that I'm neutral so that I can hold whatever they bring in. It's impossible to hold both. So I pack away whatever has happened. And if I have had a really bad morning, I visualize putting my morning in a box and then sending it away. And I can can pick them back up after the shoot. It's not going to change. Just I visualize that. So I stand in my space I get it ready and I and I prepare my energy. Preparing my energy is way more important than preparing my baby wraps. That can wait. I can pull that out when they get there. But if I need an extra five, I'm taking that extra five. So that's the first thing that I do. And then um, when they walk in, I'm very, it depends if they've got a, just a baby or if they've got a toddler, but let's just assume they have a toddler because that will be beneficial, I feel, to hear. But if they have a toddler, what I'm watching for is how that toddler walks in. So some toddlers like mine walk in before their parents and they're like, what's happening in here? Like, who are you? Like really (laughs) confident. And then some balls of energy. Yeah. And I now understand that I don't need to bring that child out of their shell. I actually need to harness their energy. Mm. When a child is still standing in the hallway, when their parents walk in, I I know that I need to give that child space. So if a child walks in confidently, the first thing I do is drop to my knees and talk to that child. I don't talk about things like, wow, you've got a pretty dress on or I like your shoes. <laughs> I talk to them about like, what did you eat for breakfast? What's your favorite color? You know, all of that. So the, the quicker that I can connect and get that child on side, the better the shoot's going to be for everyone. Mm. The other thing to understand is that if you don't have children, understanding that the way to love your client is through their children. So when you, I imagine this is obviously different for weddings, that probably the way to love a couple, I would imagine, is through the bride. Now, the way to love a family is through their children. If you can get that child on side, if you make eye contact with that child, if you get conversation out of that child, if you make that child feel so welcome, and if you get a shy child to eventually sit on your lap, you will have that client forever. Like I hand on heart will say, no one does that. As the minute a child doesn't make eye contact with an adult, typically they take offense. 
So there's an instant, oh, well, he doesn't like me or whatever. So when you spend that time getting down on their level and connecting with them, they will just think that you are the best human ever. And once I've made a connection, I sort of stand up again and I go, hi, nice to meet you. (laughs) Sorry, but I always talk to you (laughs) first. My name's Sophie. Welcome to the studio. And they kind of are standing there watching this unfold going, this is not what I thought was going to happen. I thought we would be greeted and ushered in and and treated. I'm like, no, 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 because we we don't have them on board. This shoot is done, right? Mm. So that's sort of my energy preparation for myself, directing straight to the littlest in the family first. If they're super shy, I give them a lot of room first. And then I start giving them little jobs. Instead of asking them too many questions, I'll say, can you move this? Can you hold that? Holding the camera is cool because that's obviously something that they're not usually allowed to do. And then from there, I'm quiet with the parents and I'm asking them a lot of questions about how things have been going. I also try and get a lot of information about how baby's been going so that I know how to tailor the session to them. So, for instance, if they're like, oh, it's been a bit rough, he's got a bit of reflux, I know that a lot of the poses I'll do, baby will be upright. I'm not going to lay baby down because baby's going to cry and then that's going to be stressful for the parents. So my aim during all my sessions, calm child, calm baby, happy family. Even if they they have sort of this is where it comes down to knowing what clients are asking for. I really love that shot. It's like, okay, beautiful, excellent. But we're not going to do that. that shot because your baby's got reflux. And But you don't have to go into that because then that's negative. It's saying your baby can't do that. So it's like, I think, you know, it's like, okay, well, let's try a few of these and 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 feel the baby out and see how comfortable they are with their tummy today. And then, and then we'll, we'll go from there. And yeah, just making sure that they feel comfortable, that you're knowledgeable in that. So because I've been doing it for so long and I'm a mum myself, I can kind of say, okay, well, that's all right. That's no issue at all. We'll keep baby upright until their tummy settles and then we'll try some on the bee bag later. And just nothing's a problem. No one can do anything wrong. Children climbing on furniture, I'm like, it's okay. They can't do anything wrong. Making sure that if there's any tension in the room, if a child's doing something and you can feel the parents going, oh, little Johnny, get off that. And I'm like, it's all good. He can climb today. Today's a new day. We're in a new place. It's my place and he's allowed to climb. There's no stress. It's all good. And just making sure that you're kind of overriding that. With the anchor. And yes, exactly. Because they will, they'll look to you. How are we supposed to react to him jumping off the lounge? Mm. (laughs) And as long as you're cool, then they will be too. I try and picture myself as the flame in the middle of the room, making everybody else warm. If I'm just in the middle of the room, like really unsure, then they're going to be unsure, but I need to warm everyone up and make sure they feel at home. And I try and get people to kind of, I try and make my feelings contagious. (laughs) So I've spent a lot of time preparing my energy this morning. I want you to catch my feelings as well so that we're all on the same page and it's all going to be nice and calm. It's perfect. There's, um, a life coach named Brendan Bouchard and he teaches this thing called um called task switching and between tasks we need to like concentrate on like getting rid of the old task taking even if it's five minutes or even if it's just five breaths to ourselves letting go of everything else that we've done throughout the day but then setting the intention for the next next task and the way to like create that as a habit is every time you stand up from your desk or every time you go to do something else you intentionally got to think of that. And so it reminds me of the thing that you do It's like, I've got, regardless of what we've done in the past, this is what we're doing right now. And what are my intentions? 
So athletes do this really well. So for instance, like if you're an athlete and you're a basketball player and you miss a shot, instead of you now always missing shots because you're hung up on that one shot, you need to set reset your intention and go, no, this is now the shot. And what am I doing here? How can I play at the highest level? So I think like walking in, like you're just saying then just makes so much sense because you can't bring in old things of that you've done in the past. And like, even right now in this podcast interview, like, you know, I close my door. What's my intention? I'm talking to you, turn off all notifications. What am I here to do? I'm here to facilitate, to have a conversation. And then we sort of go into it. So I just wanted to sort of like really push that home, especially for the listeners, because it's insanely important that we don't hang on to, especially a lot of negative stuff, especially if you like me in the last couple of days, looking at social media and it's, it's like a celebrity slapping someone or something. And then you can think about it. And then all of a sudden you're bringing it into your next task that you're doing because it wasn't the most positive thing. Yeah. I think that's interesting too, about task switching, because I feel like multitasking gets thrown around a lot and I actually don't believe it's even possible to multitask very well but it's a massive thing that we a massive term used especially with mums you know Mm. we are the ultimate multitaskers but then my dms are always full of how do you have time for that Mm. which is funny right so we're supposed to be these people that can hold it hold all the balls in the air yet we're not getting anything done so really similarly to what you said, my time is segmented into one thing at a time. And it is the only way to be productive. Do you agree? I absolutely don't agree. Absolutely you actually agree. can't. So I was listening to You the, can't think of two thoughts at, at the same time. It's impossible. No. So I was listening to this <laughs> mate this podcast the other day about how the brain allocates itself to a task, right? Mm. And it was she used this great analogy of being in a dark room with a, with a flashlight and your attention is the flashlight and you only have one. So you can flash from side to side to side to side, but you don't have two flashlights. So whatever it is that you're, you're putting your attention on, it can only be that, which is why when you're in a car, you turn the music down if you see flashing lights up, the, up ahead or to park your car because the or reverse driving, your car. Yeah, the driving is the subconscious, something that you've done so well rehearsed over and over and over again. But this alert up ahead or this hang on a minute, I need to concentrate to reverse park my car in a new space I've never been in, turning the music down because we can't do two things at once. And it sounds like a funny thing. It's like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I have to turn my, my music down to park. But it's because your brain is saying one thing at a time. Mm. Or your kids screaming in the back, you know, and it's like, everyone just be quiet. There's there's a police up ahead or, or whatever. And that's such a perfect analogy. It's very true. We cannot have that many tabs open and expect ourselves to be productive. And I think you touch on this a lot, like the, the difference between being busy and being productive. Yeah. Because we can feel so busy. Anyone can. Even if you don't have your own business, even if you don't work, just life is busy. <laughs> It's so true. It's I take so a day true. off and I go, I, I do all these things today and I go, I'm so busy. I can't even believe I work full time and then do this stuff as well. Like it's just, it's where you're dividing your time. But I think the best way to think about that isn't multitasking, having to do 50 things at once. It's like doing one thing at a time and even taking the time, as you said, to take a breath in between 
is the my most productive days for sure. You know, like the most, like I've talked to so many successful people throughout my career. I'm talking to you right now and I, and I deem you as like so successful. And I hear this over and over because so many people, when we're struggling, we try and multitask and do a billion things at the same time. But as I've talked to more and more successful people, so like a millionaire compared to like someone's got a hundred millions compared to someone's got a billion. The more I talk to those people, the more they say they're not busy. I'm just working on one thing. So they get less and less busy. And what I realized is they're so intentional with their time, like so intentional and they're never busy, never got lots of tabs going. They're literally just always on one task, then one task, then one task. And because they can move forward through life like that with absolute clarity, they keep stacking their results over and over and over. And what we do from the outside is like, we think, oh man, they must be doing a lot of things at the same time. I want to catch up. So we try and do all the things and then we end up becoming a ball of overwhelm and creative burnout and and we get so much further away from the goal than when we first started. Yeah. I think pacing yourself and making sure that when you are working, that it's potent. You know, I don't want to spend time away from my kids if I'm just got 10 mm. tabs open and, you know, Instagram's dinging and emails are going off and, you know, like what a waste of time. You have to be potent and intentional with it. And I think what has helped me is that valuing time more and more now that I am a mum as well. You know, I could be doing this or I could be with my kids. So if I'm going to be here, let's make it bloody work. Like let's get, like if I'm going to have a studio, let's get the shoots in. If I'm going to have a day in the studio, let's fill it. Let's not have patchy time slots. And if I'm at the, if I'm at work, if I'm here in the office, it's like here's my, I write down my intention for the day. This is what I need to achieve by the this end of the day. what I'm going to do, yeah. To be productive and it ain't doing stupid jobs and checking socials. You know, there's time for that. Well, here's another little analogy and this one will really help. There's so many people that go to the gym and then say, I've got no results. And then if you ask them like, what do you do when you go to the gym? Well, I listen to a podcast and I think about work and what I'm going to do that day. I'm like, okay, so let me think about this or imagine this. If you went to the gym and you set the intention, what am I doing right now? 45 minutes, I'm only working on my body, my physical health, and that's it. So what does that mean? Okay. So instead of listening to a podcast or texting in between doing things, what I'm doing now is I'm actually going to start working with weights to lift weights until I feel a burn in my legs. And when I feel that burn, I'm going to keep feeling it until I imagine like that part of my body grow. After that 45 minutes, it's completely done. You don't need to think about your legs anymore, but what's the next intention? Okay. Now I need to get one client. I'm at work. That's all I need to do. Just one client. So now you're coming in with the one intention and you, and over and over, I can almost guarantee that person that works like that is going to get a lot more results with their physical health, going to the gym, a lot more clients when they're at work. And if they go home and they go, how can I be the best husband? How can I be the best wife? How can I be the best mother today? Right now, you know, I've got one hour with you guys. I'm going to sit and have dinner. I'm sure you're going to have the best relationships of your life as well. Agreed. A hundred percent. It translates everywhere, doesn't it? It really does. And you can see the people that are obsessed over one thing, you can see that they always get big results because they're obsessed over the one thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Hey, um, thank you so much for jumping on here. There's been so much. I want to hear about your new podcast. Oh gosh. I, um, yeah, talk about taking a leap. Hey, it's, that was something that made me really nervous mm-hmm. and I'm really excited to have that live now. So I think we're on like episode seven or eight. It's been really enjoyable. I, 
love showing up on Instagram and I would always have so many conversations over there, but then they're gone in like 24 hours. So mm. I kind of wanted somewhere to go a little deeper and park them so that people could go back and re-listen. And I am not just a photographer. I am a layered human being and I am interested in lots of things. And I, I'm a learner and I want to stay a learner. So I want to have people on that I can learn from, yes, in business, yes, in photography, but also motherhood and life and things that have helped me my, the way that I have got to where I have gotten just personally and professionally is layered. I like to speak to healers and I like to speak to other mothers. I like to bounce off other photographers. Yeah. So that's kind of the podcast is really, I wanted it to just take a life of its own and be a reflection of the way that I show up online and on socials that has been so well received over the years. And that's what it is. So I have clients listening. I have photographers listening. I have friends listening and everyone seems to get something out of it. So it's funny. I I have clients going, I'm not a photographer. I love your podcast. I'm like, it's not a photography podcast, but of course it naturally reflects back because I am one, but it's not exclusively that it's, I want it to be something that um, particularly it is. Yeah, definitely for sure. Aimed at women to come and listen and learn and feel supported and not alone in business. Yeah but also just in life in general. And I'm loving it. I love a chat. You can't tell. I can tell. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's really lovely. It's really lovely to share. And I think knowledge, when I first started in photography, working alongside other studios, it was so competitive. Oh, yeah. I you remember those days. You did not speak to someone from another studio. You don't you share the secrets. Up, you don't share. You made up fake email addresses to get their prices. Like it was a very, very different world. Yeah. And I really wanted to come out into the industry and be a part of making a change to that. Mm. I didn't want to be part of the problem. I wanted to be part of the solution and I, and I don't fear sharing knowledge. So I, um, I've been really touched by the feedback of people saying, yeah, like they're getting nuggets of wisdom out of it and thinking outside the box for things that they might have blocks over, you know, things that I've done in the past that have helped me work through things, you know, like, um, you know, my own conditioning and, and it's been wonderful really cool to have an impact like that is cool. I mean, you're, you're way ahead in that journey and I'm sure you, you hear back from listeners every day and it is very, very heartwarming. It's insanely heartwarming. And I think, I feel like we think very similar and we're on a very similar path and it's, it's just so cool to see that you're openly giving, you're having these meaningful conversations and you're really lifting up your community, which, you know, makes me insanely happy as well. Hey, so thank you for being on the show. We can also find you on Instagram, Sophie Lee Photography. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Sophie Lee with L-E-A. Yep. And I'm going to put all that underneath the show notes, including the Sophie Lee podcast. That'll be in the show notes as well. But yeah, thank you so much for being on here. I'm really excited. I know everyone's going to get so much value and I appreciate your time as well. Thank you so much for having me, Jai. It's been a pleasure.